Welcome to the Pockets of Knowledge podcast, where we share illuminating stories and knowledge to inform, educate, inspire and empower you in the areas of business, health, finance, philanthropy, art, and entrepreneurship, designed to help you achieve your goals. And now here is your host, Desiree Stanley. Welcome everyone to the Pockets of Knowledge podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Stanley, and with me today is my guest, Erica Thomas. Welcome to the show, Erica. I'm excited to have you here with us today. How are you? Hi, Desiree. I'm doing awesome. I'm so glad to be part of this podcast, and thank you so much for asking me to to come aboard today. Oh, wonderful. Thank you for that. It's my honor to have you as a guest. Erica is the founder of Vita Nova Mother Daughter Coaching, and we're going to get into what all of that means. Uh, but let's start with what was the inspiration for launching Vita Nova Mother Daughter Relationship Coaching, and how did that all come to be? Mm-hmm. Really, I, my inspiration is my daughter, who's 16 years old, and you know, just I I remember finding out that. I was going to have a daughter and I was really excited, but I was also scared. And it, it has to stem from my mother-daughter history and my relationship with my mother. It's just, it really kind of also stems from just my own mother-daughter relationship with my mother. It's a very complicated mm-hmm. relationship. And just over the years, I really found that it affected me in different ways as a woman how I saw myself as a woman, how I navigated the world as a human being, and of course, as a woman, you know, also my relationships. And also in my just 19 plus years as working with women and teen girls, I also find that inevitably when they talk about just areas in their life where they feel stuck, it has to come down to their mothers, Mm. their relationship with their mothers, you know, and it varies in degrees. It could be just a little bit or it could be a lot. That's basically just kind of in my own, with my own relationship with my daughter, I didn't want her to suffer and go through the things that I did. So for me, I wanted to turn things around. And in doing that, you know, just thinking about the generational change that I would create. And I also want to support women in creating that generational change as well. So whether it's through motherhood, through mentorship, through friendship, et cetera. Mm, That's excellent. So how long have you been coaching women on how to kind of, I'll say, heal these relationships and even really the relationship with yourself and how you're moving forward in the world? You know, so I've been a therapist for over 19 years. I mostly worked with women. I really started niching in really in working with women, I would say about three years ago, just because it was just an area that I felt closely connected to. And, you know, just an area that I was really passionate about. But I've, over the years, I've just, I've worked with hundreds of women. Well, that's awesome. You touched on the idea of intergenerational I guess we could say trauma or dysfunction. And so let's dive into that a little bit and talk about kind of what that means, those terms mean, and how that can kind of play out in your relationships in, and in your life. Mm, yeah. 
So, you know, the mother-daughter relationship is an extremely important relationship to a woman. Through our mothers, they're our first example on what it is to be a woman, you know? So they create the foundation from which how we define ourselves as women, as professionals, as friends, as mothers. But over time, we do figure out, we do make our own way in the world as women, but it first starts with our mothers. You know, and when it starts with our mothers, we invoke a mother-daughter history where, you know, that's filled with patterns that are passed down from mother to daughter, generation after generation after generation. And even though the patterns are, you know, the patterns are persistent, they may look different, but they continue through. And if we're not careful as to what those patterns are, and I'll go into them right now so that so that you and your listeners can understand what those patterns are and they can, you know, kind of think about their own mother-daughter histories and figure out where their, uh, where those patterns are for them in their mother-daughter histories. But yeah, it's through these patterns that it, it's really the root cause of mother-daughter conflict. When I talk about these intergenerational patterns, I really talk about it from a model called the mother-daughter attachment model, which was designed and it was created by a therapist named Roshka Hasseldine. And she created this model over her 30 years of working with mothers and daughters, finding out that there were certain patterns, regardless of culture, that were passed down. And so it's for me to find out and to learn about these patterns has really been enlightening, not only to figure out where, you know, kind of where I've gotten stuck in my life as a woman, but also, too, in talking with my mom, we've had different conversations about our own mother-daughter relationship that's made it productive. And not only that, but in knowing which one of those patterns have patterns, plural, because there are a few of them in mine, I've been able to really pinpoint and, and hone in on those so that I don't pass those down to my daughter. It ends with me. So she goes on and she lives a life that, you know, she's empowered and, and She's free to be herself. So yeah, these patterns are are based out of really patriarchal social cultural norms, really, that cause men and women to adopt certain behaviors or beliefs, which we are taught that men and women should do. You know, and oftentimes what is the unfortunate thing about this is that these behaviors and beliefs really cause us to abandon real connection for connection with society, which creates pseudo-connections. So as a boy, I'm not going to cry too much because that's, people think of it, I'm a girl, you know, or if a girl doesn't care too much, it's, it's criticized. It's, well, you should be caring for them. And why aren't you not caring for them? So, and it's really sad because also to these norms really inflict shame and guilt if we're not careful about these and how we should go about our lives and how we should create these connections and navigate our world. Yeah, this is truly a complex topic, right? Because there can be so many things that affect these relationships. And so, you know, you've shared a little bit about some of the cultural norms, socioeconomic cultural norms. But what was interesting is talking about the model that you described earlier and and how that was cross-cultural. And so do you want to expand on that a little bit and tell us a little bit more about some of what was found there? Absolutely. 
So, you know, it, it is interesting because when, especially in today's day and age, when we work with our clients, we try to do it from a point, from a culturally competent point of view, right? So we want to make sure that we are very sensitive to people's cultures. We don't want to, you know, impart our own things on them. And we want to make sure that they continue to live in there and be respectful of, mm-hmm. of what their cultural beliefs are. That said, you know, it is interesting because these these norms are, like I said, they're just, they're a universal set of norms. They are colored by the culture. They are colored by the society in which they live, the ethnic culture or the society that they live in. But needless to say, when you peel them back, they look the same. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go over them because I think once I can explain them, and just for the sake of time, I won't go into too much stuff. But so your listeners can, can have an idea and yeah. what those, those patterns are. So the first one is the culture of female service. And again, these patterns are dysfunctional patterns that are passed down from mothers to daughters in their history. This is the idea that women are raised in a fashion where they have to care for people, you know, and it starts from when we're little girls. We're giving baby dolls mm-hmm. to take care of, right? And and although the concept of nurturing and loving and it's it's imparted in having a baby doll, it also from the very get go we're taught to care, to care for somebody, right? And then eventually, if we're not careful, that culture of female service, you are held hostage by it. In other words, mm-hmm. you know, and you're guilted into it. Well, you know, you should be caring for. So-and-so, why are you not caring for so-and-so? And eventually, too, what happens is we're not careful. It turns into excessive caregiving, where then women will find people, things, pets to care for. If they don't have enough, they will continue to find things, people to care for. So it creates them in you know in a hostage situation. So... The next one is emotional silencing and neglect. And this one, I think, is a very, it's a very prevalent pattern in women. And it's really in the name. We silence ourselves for the sake of being a good girl. We neglect ourselves for the sake of being a good girl, for not rocking the boat, for not being too high maintenance, for not you know, dare I say, if you're too vociferous, you, you're a bitch, you know, you're too strong. So here the idea is, okay, I can't say this because this is going to create trouble. Okay, fine. And what's interesting is that with women, it's actually validated. When I think about my culture, I think about especially motherhood. And when you think about the Hispanic culture, it's, you know, the amount of neglect that you give into in motherhood, you get that much more validation. It ends up being a thing where it's rewarded. Oh, if I neglect myself enough, that means I'm a good mom, mm-hmm. right? Oh, and, and I've heard this said before, especially with my, the girls, the teen girls that I work with, they talk about how, you know, sometimes the mothers of their boyfriends will say, oh my gosh, I just really love you. You know, you're so quiet and you don't cause a lot of trouble. Whereas they'll talk about the previous girlfriend and they'll say, 
Oh, she was just too loud. And it's sad because the girls that I work with want to say something. They want to use their voice. But because they're complimented for their quiet nature, in a way, it's rewarding. So it just becomes this so just destructive, but rewarding sort of thing. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank so, you for sharing those two with us right yeah. now. We can certainly, yeah. you know, carry on and you can share more. But I just want to say that those already, the, the two that you have um, shared with us, 100%, like I have felt both of those things. And, you know, that being responsible for other people and nurturing to other people and caring for other people or pets or whatever. And then also not speaking out. And and being, like you said, rewarded for letting things go, not rocking the boat, just, you know, keeping it easy, going with the flow. For sure. You know, I think I, I can speak for a lot of people who have gone through that, a lot of women who've gone through that, for sure. So, yeah. 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 You know, I, I think about, so there's a, there's a quote from, from Eleanor Roosevelt, and it goes something like, it's good women rarely make history. Good right. girls rarely make history, right? right? right. Something right. like that. But, you know, and you think about the day and age in which she was around, right? In the, mm -hmm. you know, 20s, 30s, and 40s. And, I mean, you think about emotional silence, right? Yeah. You know, if, if you used your voice, if you had something to say, you were a bad girl, mm -hmm. right? So, in essence, she was saying... You know, bad girls are the ones that make history, but are they really bad girls or are they just women that really want to use their voices? No, they're, mm -hmm. they're exactly that. They're not bad girls. So, but it's so sad that they were considered bad girls. Yeah. And what's kind of sad is the fact that we're how many decades later and that's still happening, right? We're still taught to silence our voices. It's just really sad that we're so far from that in terms of years, but still so close to being in that same boat. I agree. I mean, I work with some of the most amazing women that have just, they're so strong and independent in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what they view themselves as, where I'm strong and independent and I can make my own way. And then when we talk about using their voice, you know, they come in here because there is a part of them. There's that internal conflict of, I am so proud that I have made my way in this world, but it's still hard for me to raise my hand in a room full of men, or it's really hard to really say what I want to say, or people say I come on too strong. And <laughs> so really working with them and, and teaching them that they can still use their voice and, and that using their voice is not a bad thing. So, but yeah, it's in today's day and age where it, it's not the 20s, 30s and 40s, but in some ways we, we kind of are with that. It's kind of sad. Yeah, it is. Well, if you'd like to share another one or two, you know, kind of things mm -hmm. where we could sort of see that happening, please go ahead. And then we can talk a little bit about how we can start, once we're recognizing that, how we can start to make changes. Absolutely. I'll go over a couple more and then I'll go from there. But so the next one that I see a lot is, is lost women, the pattern, the generational pattern of lost women. This is where a woman gets so enthralled in their role 
whether it's their profession or maybe motherhood, especially see with motherhood, that they don't see themselves as anything else, right? So, and when you have the, you have a mother who is a lost woman, say she's lost in her motherhood and she has a daughter who wants to go on and do something else and, you know, go live the adventure, go whatever it is. But the mother says, no, this is what you're expected to do. Or maybe the daughter is, she's a mother too. And the mother, you know, criticizes her for going to the spa for a couple of hours and leaving the children Mm -hmm. with the babysitter because, you know, heaven forbid, you can't leave the kids so that you can go relax. (laughs) Getting so enthralled in that. These patterns just really inflict a lot of shame and guilt. And it's no wonder why women carry that so much in their lives. And then the other one I I will talk about is maternal jealousy. So I think this is an interesting one where it's in the name where the mothers see their daughters grow up to be what they wanted to be, and they become jealous of them. What's interesting to me, though, is that this becomes a, it's really a form of grief from the mom. Because it's really, she's grieving the loss of, you know, of dreams and goals that she had for her life. But for whatever reason, life just got in the way. And she was never able to get through that. And it's it's really a painful thing for the mom because I, it's, it's, in a way, she's proud of her daughter. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, girl, you did it. Yes. But at the same time, it's like, God, I wish I would have done that. And sometimes that jealousy takes over and the mom cannot be super proud of her daughter the way her daughter wants her to be. Yeah, again, two really great points. And I think that many of us can, you know, appreciate that having either experienced it or, you know, been a part of it in some way. And I I can see how that jealousy could really be hidden grief, right? Like you said, it's, they want to be happy for what their daughter is doing and, you know, or has succeeded in doing, but they're grieving the fact that they didn't have that chance or they didn't take that chance. Maybe I can totally see how that would be the case. And, and from someone who is now at a point where my youngest is gone off to college, you know, I'm in a transition period recognizing that my children are off and doing what they're wanting to do. And now I have an opportunity to do maybe what I put on hold for those Mm -hmm. child rearing years. And, you know, I have the luxury and the opportunity to do that. And I know not everyone does. So I think that recognizing these things that you're describing and then, like we mentioned earlier, now how do we work on peeling those things within ourselves and in that relationship with our mothers or our daughters? Right, right. I think really the first thing is recognizing, really looking at your mother, just your own mother-daughter history, and really going back three generations with with you as the daughter, and then going back to your grandmother, and Mm. and seeing what, what the patterns are that are passed down from mother to daughter. And, you know, it's really amazing, because if you really look, if you really look, the patterns are passed down. They'll look differently. And there are some others, like my mother, I think she she was brought up in just some really, really, it was a tough household. 
you know, she was subjected to emotional and physical abuse and she was, you know, she was put in charge of domestic duties way too early. And if you just stop and just look at that and you see her relationship with her mother, it's really easy to blame her mother. That would be my grandmother and say, well, what is, what was she thinking? Wow, she's a terrible woman. Why is she doing that? So I remember having a conversation with my mom and I thought this was a really healing thing. And when I talk about the mother-daughter history, it was, it's transformative because she was able to share with me really just the, the terrible things that my grandmother went through. Mm. And thinking about her treatment of my mother, right? If you just look at that as face value, you think, wow, she's a horrible woman. She's heartless. And how could she do that? And and unfortunately, we have these attachment models that do create this blame in the mother. Like just mm -hmm. they're so easy to blame on the mother. But if you look back, my grandmother was subjected to a lot of abuse, domestic violence, you know, and it's so when you look at those patterns and they're passed down, my mother did a wonderful job turning those things around. She was very intentional about changing that and, and breaking that cycle of abuse. So mm -hmm. I did not necessarily get the same treatment in that she did. Right? right. So that's so that said, she was only equipped with certain tools going into motherhood that, you know, really she then used to mother me and my mm -hmm. sister. My, I have a sister who's three years younger than I am. So when you when you look at that, my mom, my mom was she was delighted to be a mom. She was so excited to be a mom. And I really don't think moms necessarily go into motherhood thinking, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hurt my daughter. I'm gonna hurt my child, right? So what happens is they're only, you know, it, they're only carrying a certain amount of tools. Some have more tools than others, depending on what their blueprint is. But if you are limited in your toolbox, that's what you have to use. So, you know, that's why it's important to understand really kind of the mother-daughter history, because it also takes away the mother blaming from it. Those are some really great points that you brought up and not just looking at the face value of this one generational interaction, right? Looking back two or three, even if possible to see what was going on and then getting the full picture like you you just described is so vital to understand what was happening what what did they go through and like you said you've only got so much in your toolbox that you can draw on to help you you know move forward in your relationships with your children your daughter the people in the world and so i think that's a super important point to to think about and not just looking back at just what your mother did. Exactly right. Exactly yeah. right. I think, I think, you know, once we're able to look at it from the, that lens, we're able to see our mothers with a little bit more empathy and compassion. Now it doesn't, you know, the hurt that they cause us, I'm not saying it's an excuse. And certainly I think they're, you know, a, a definite important healing point in a mother daughter relationship is, for the mother to acknowledge that hurt and take responsibility and accountability for that hurt. But it does lend itself to really see mom, this person that may have hurt you, 
from a different lens and knowing, wow, she was, she had these tools and this is what she used with me and in mothering me. And, you know, some of it worked, some of it didn't at all. And so it's just, for me, it was, it was transformative. I was able to see my mom as a woman, you know, I kind of take the role of mom away to peel that lens back, you know, She'll always be my mom, but I'm able to see her more as a woman. And I think that's what also helps me lend compassion and empathy to her. So, yeah. Yeah, excellent point for sure. So then let's talk about uh, maybe some specific things that someone can do to maybe begin healing that relationship. Obviously, you know, like we just discussed, having some empathy and some compassion for what they went through is going to be vital in helping to heal. But what else is there maybe that we can draw on to help? To help with the, with the healing, the relationship and then understanding, you know, right. maybe what was going on so that you then don't carry that forward. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I think, like I said before, I think it's really understanding, taking a deep dive into your mother daughter history and then taking those patterns and thinking about, okay, how did this affect my relationship with my mother, right? And not only that, but these patterns inevitably, they also infiltrate in other relationships. They filtrate in relationships with other women, you know, whether it's we as women are mentors to other women or to our friendships, our relationship with men as well. So, you know, one thing about the mother-daughter history is thinking about the relationship with men in that history. Did you have men? Did your mother have men? Did your, did your grandmother have men in their lives, whether, you know, it was their partner, husband, father, grandfather, in their lives that really inquired into them, their needs, make them a priority? Ask them, how was your day? What do you need? And you know, that infiltrates in our relationships with men too. So, so really looking at that and kind of taking a deep dive into that. And I would say the next step is, is really finding your healer of choice and talking mm -hmm. through it. It's depending on what level of hurt came from that mm -hmm. and yeah, it's healing from it. And, you know, another thing too, I think is as a woman does their inner work in working through some of these hurts in their mother-daughter history is also thinking about how giving themselves permission to define their own doors. And what I mean by that is I also, it's also known as boundaries. I like the term defining your own doors because I think it's just a, a better visual and boundaries sometimes invokes this very rigid drawing a line in the sand. And, you know, when you're defining your own doors, you can figure out where do you want that placement in your room for that door? What kind of door do you want? Do you want one that's solid or do you want to see through? But it's basically you are defining where you are placing your doors and what door you want. And um, so giving ourselves permission to do that, because we don't do that. Going back to culture, female service, we're always caring for everybody else because that's what's rewarded. And it's easy to breach our own boundaries. And, you know, I love that visual that you just shared. I think that's a great way to think about it and, and visualize it really is, do I want a solid door? Do I want double French doors? Do I want glass doors? Do I want a sliding door? You know, like how, 
permeable is this, if you will, and how solid is this? So you know, how important is this boundary or this door to me in the relationship that I, I'm having with these people? And I think that that's a great way to think about it and, and con- conceptualize it for sure. It is. Yeah, thanks. Well, so I want to ask you, let me see how the, I want to word this. Since we're speaking about these doors, how is this relationship that you're having, this, this pattern that you've had with your mother now also affecting, and, and you touched a little bit on, you know, the men in your life or some female friends or people that you might be mentoring, but how are those things going to be affecting those types of relationships? Yeah, I think that as I took a deep dive into my own mother-daughter history, I was really able to see I, there were really the the most prevalent ones for me were the culture of female service, emotional silencing and neglect, and lost women. And so I think, you know, really for me, it was really looking at those and realizing that I was not coming into my relationships including my marriage at one point Mm -hmm. as my genuine self, because I didn't want to upset anybody. I was afraid of rejection. Mm -hmm. I, you know, there's, I wanted to say things, but I knew they would rock the boat in Mm -hmm. some of those relationships, you know, particularly with family. Luckily I have an amazing husband who always encourages me to use my voice. So it was more so me being able to be okay with me using my voice mm-hmm. and understanding that if we're able to bring ourselves, our full selves into a relationship, our authentic selves, that's where the growth is. If we prevent ourselves from showing up as our full selves, we're not going to grow into relationships the way we want to. And our partners, our friends, our family are not going to see us as our true selves. So really, I, I think that's the healing. I think that for me, that's really the part that I I had to I had to get through. It kind of every once in a while pops up as well. So there was a situation recently where I was handling something about the AC and you know my husband is he's a busy guy and he knows that it's a partnership, right? So there was a circumstance where it was it was quite a mess of a situation and I was handling it all because he was busy and I didn't want to bother him. He had enough on his plate and he's like why, why are you protecting me from this? You know, we need to do this together. But for me, I was just, I was thinking I was just making it easy for him. And because he's a busy guy. And I mean, I'm busy too, right? I'm thinking about, (laughs) wait a minute. It's not like I don't have anything to do either. But here I am like breaking my back because I feel like I got to protect him or don't want to rock the boat in some way. Again, it's so ingrained. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'll just honestly say that, yeah, it's just a thing that still pops up for me every once in a while, even after doing my own inner work with all this. I can totally see how that uh, for myself, even, you know, the he's busy, he's got a lot on his plate. Let me just handle this. And but I'm overwhelmed and I don't really know how to handle this situation. But, you know, I don't want to dump it on him. I can totally relate to that. And I'm sure that the listeners have experienced that, you know, themselves. For sure, I could see that. But so maybe is there some strategies that you could suggest that can help people work through those things? And I know it's going to be 
a matter of maybe choosing to work with uh, a counselor or a therapist or some a coach, mm-hmm. someone who can maybe help, you know, provide more deeper tools. But is there anything that you can suggest that the listeners can, you know, try to maybe add to their their toolkit? Okay, absolutely. I think in addition to, you know, being okay with getting to that place where you're okay with exercising your own boundaries, right? Another thing I think is the concept of uh, know thyself. And mm-hmm. over the years, this has taken on different meanings. But when I think about know thyself, I think about know who you are as a person. And what I mean when I say that is, I think sometimes we we are not okay with accepting our limitations. You know, oh no, I, I could do more. I could do more when we know in fact that no, we cannot do more, right? But it's, I can do it. I can do it. Sure. It comes in the form of people pleasing, right? Mm-hmm. I could do it. I could do it. But knowing really and understanding and being okay with the fact that we do have limitations. We are human beings and inherently we are going to have limitations. Some of those, yes, we can work on, but some of them, they does take a certain sense of maturity to say, you know what? This is all I can give and being okay with that, right? Another one I would say is being clear with your values. And, you know, the more and more I work with my clients, the more and more I realize that that's something that we really don't, we're not clear on. If, if I were, it, it, when I ask my clients, what are your values? Number one, they're like, well, what are values? It's like, how can I define values? What is that? Right? So right then and there, it, They don't have a clear set of values. So values basically is a certain set of beliefs or behavior or something that you hold sacred in your life. So a value would be, an example of that would be wisdom, trust, independence, family. Those are values. There's a whole bunch of, I mean, there's like tons of values out there and, you know, your listeners can look them up, but. I think being really clear with what your values are. So your values can change over time. But one thing about values is when things get really muddled in life, because kind of frequently they do, at least they do for me, it really helps me to go back to my list. And I actually have a list here in the back of my chair. And I also have it posted in my bathroom that I look at every day. And it helps set the tone for the day. Okay, these are my values. Helps me with my decision-making, with my problem-solving. It helps me um, with my boundaries, you know, and um, just other, in in other ways as well. So when I feel lost, I look to my values. What is important to me in this situation? And the people we choose to have in our inner circle, which is an extremely important thing as well. Yeah, excellent. And you're right. The values, it's like that foundational thing that is so important to every decision that we make, right? It it affects the decisions that we make because those are the things that we're not going to compromise on. Those are the foundational things in, in what everything that we do going throughout the life that we're living. So yeah, 100%. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another one I would say too is giving yourself self-compassion and self-acceptance. Really, I, I think we, 
many of us live with a huge inner critic and, you know, just the idea that whenever we're in an emotional state, we, we meet ourselves with a logical state and, you know, we're sad. And so we go logically to, well, it's not going to be like this all the time. Okay. There's no reason to be sad. And although in a way that is okay, you know, that there is a positive thinking to that, you have to meet your emotion with emotion first. Saying so, and and the way you do that is if you're sad, name your feelings. I'm sad, right? Wow, this makes me sad. I feel sad, right? And and I I would say just, you know, just doing that and honoring your feelings before you go to that logical place. Once you are able to do that, then you can say, well, you know what? This is only temporary. I will be okay. But we have to go through that emotional caretaking first before we go into that logical step that moves us forward. Yeah, I love that. That is such a great point because I I see that, you know, emotional reaction to something that's happening and immediately trying to discount it or explain it away or make some kind of logical sense out of it. And yes, we need that too. But like you said, we've got to address the root of it and the emotion. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brene Brown's book, Atlas of the Heart. And I read that fantastic book. Highly, highly recommend it because she talks about going through and naming all of these emotions. And, you know, when you can do that, you can recognize when you're experiencing it and then heal and move forward. And so I highly recommend that. And so to your point, you've got to be able to acknowledge what it is that you're feeling and accept and say that it's okay. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way. And then get to the logical, maybe problem solving side of it, right? Exactly. Exactly. And I would say another one too is just learning how to navigate conflict in a way that creates emotional safety. And, and what I mean by that is a little bit more of, of expounding on that part of meeting emotion with emotion, right? Instead of emotion with logic. So if a person is really, really like angry at you, right? And, and it, it could be your mother or your mm-hmm. daughter, right? They're really mad at you. They're really angry at you. Wow, I can see you're really angry. You know, what did I do that made you angry? And how can I, what can I do differently? Right. And then, so, so meeting them and validating that emotion and understanding that each and every one of us has what we call an emotional reality, which is really a subjective reality of the situation. One is not right over the other. And I think often we fight to be right. You know, we try to prove each other wrong and we try to treat our relationship like in a courtroom and it never goes well. <laughs> and what happens, you know, oftentimes what happens is you go into the emotional silencing and neglect. The person that's arguing to be right, you know, the other person, the receiving end will say, all right, fine, you're right. But I promise you about 99% of the time, you've only silenced them and you've only made the relationship worse. And what they're doing is they're only just trying to exit the the interaction because it's just too painful and fine. I don't want to have to do any more of this. And, and they end it. And the person who's left, they're like, yeah, you see, I was right. 
they don't realize that they just affected the connection. Yeah, for sure. And I can see that how you're communicating and that shutdown when somebody is just trying to be right and, you know, prove that their point is right and maybe invalidate what it is that you're saying, you can shut down and just say, I'm, I'm done with this. I can't handle this. You're just quiet. You've shut down. You're not going to continue the conversation. It's not going to get worked out and will probably cause trouble later down the line, <laughs> if yes. we're honest, because that's, you know, gets bottled up and then, you know, comes out later. Right. Exactly. And then it happens a lot with mothers and daughters. I see it all the time, you know, so it invokes that emotional silencing and neglect pattern. Right. So, so going back to your point about how important the communication is and recognizing what the emotion the other person is having and acknowledging that, and then trying to work through that in a compassionate way, you know, so that you can hopefully heal in the moment and move forward. I think that's, yeah, amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I have found that to be the most healing when we can meet the person in a place where you can set your saying to them in so many words, I hear you. I see you. And when a person hears that from them, I hear you. I see you. They're also hearing, I love you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And that's, that's really the beauty of emotional safety. Oh my gosh, Erica, thank you so much for for sharing all of this uh, information with us. It's just been wonderful. Absolutely. You know, I always like to ask my guests if there's any books or podcasts that they like to suggest for the listeners, mm-hmm. something that you think has been beneficial. I'd love to have you share something now. I have several books. So I think a couple of these have just been, you know, have been good for me as a professional in my own professional development, but I also have been able to use these with my clients, including my mother-daughter pairs. One of them has been Emotional Agility by Susan David, Dr. Susan David. I love that book. So it just teaches a lot about how to acquire that psychological flexibility, somewhat what the Atlas of the Heart also teaches. This is another version. I really love the way she, she talks about that and how to in a way where you can start showing up for yourself so that you can grow and move past and become a better version of yourself. So another one is uh, The Mother-Daughter Puzzle by Rashka Hasseldine. So that's a great book. It also goes more into the other patterns I know we didn't have time to talk about today, but it's just, it's it's a really great book that I know for me, I use a lot. Uh, so another one is Tea and Cake with Demons by... Adriana Limbach and you know the, the title is so interesting but but has nothing to do necessarily with the demons we think about it's more so with our inner inner demons and thinking about how we can how we can look at them in a different way so that we can start leading ourselves it's a buddhist approach she's she applies a buddhist approach I'm not a Buddhist necessarily, but I do appreciate some of the tenets of Buddhism. And another book professionally I loved was The Gift of Therapy by Irvin Yalom, Dr. Irvin Yalom. And he's just a legend in our field. And it's a very anecdotal book that shares little lessons that he learned as a practitioner at over the, you know, 60 plus years that he's been 
he's been in practice. And some of the things that we hold as sometimes when you're a young therapist coming out of grad school and you're taught these things. And, you know, one thing I love about this book, it really teaches about, okay, yes, these things are important, but focus on the human, right? And so that's, it's a, it's a great book. And then another one is Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. Just the concept of vulnerability for me is, is huge. Thinking about my own mother-daughter history and, you know, thinking about how I show up with clients, how I show up as a partner, as a spouse, how I show up as a friend, as a mother. For me, that has been transformational. So, you know, just having that vulnerability with in connections is, is huge. Oh, gosh. Wonderful. Erica, thank you so much for those recommendations. It sounds like some excellent works to take a look at. And I'll include all of the the titles and authors in the show notes so that the listeners can easily find those because fantastic suggestions. And I for sure, I'm going to look at some of those myself. Is there any podcasts that you like to listen to that you would like to share? The podcast I've listened to, I think the most has been Unlocking Us with Brene Brown. I just really like the the variety of topics that she has and, you know, just about everything. When you asked me on your show, I did start listening to your podcast, Desiree, and I really do appreciate just how you are geared towards women and just teaching women just on all sorts of things. You know, pockets of knowledge, I think is a great topic because it's just like, it's almost like a toolbox, right? You're, you're helping women build up their toolbox relationships. And so I, I really appreciated that one. And yeah, so thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that compliment. And, and yes, absolutely. It is really about empowering and inspiring and educating the listener in all of these areas. And like you said, maybe developing some tools that they can use in their life. Absolutely. That's the point. So thank you for that. Lastly, though, I would like you to share where people can find you, learn more about your coaching, and also, you know, just follow along in your journey and what you're doing. If you'd like to go ahead and share that now with the listeners, that'd be great. So they can go to my website, Vita. They can also email me if they'd like to reach out to me at Erica, E-R-I-C-A, at VitaNovaMotherDaughterChain.com. I'm also predominantly on LinkedIn under my name, so Erica Thomas, and you'll see I I post quite a bit there as well. I I do also have a Facebook page, Vita Nova Counseling and Vita Nova Mother Daughter Coaching. Yeah, excellent. Thank you for sharing those, and I'll include all of that information in the show notes as well for you know easy access for the listener. And Erica, again, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing this topic, which is so, I want to say it's kind of, it's vast, right? And we have, and we have just touched on a tiny little aspect of it, but I think what you shared, a lot of listeners can truly appreciate and, and feel some kind of connection to others, knowing that they're not alone in, in having experienced some of these things and maybe a little bit of some tools to help work through it and maybe heal some them themselves and their relationships. So Thank you again for your time and your knowledge and sharing that with us. Thank you, Desiree, for having me. It was an honor. Thank you.
Well, we'll talk more soon. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Pockets of Knowledge podcast. Be sure to join us again next week for more great information designed to educate, inspire, and empower you to achieve your goals. And thanks again for listening.